From the International Labour Organization in Geneva, Switzerland, this is the future of work. I'm Karen Nate Sekiguchi. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought the future of work literally to our doorsteps. For many of us, our home has become our office, and telework will certainly be a bigger part of that new normal everyone keeps talking about. Before the pandemic, just a fraction of people were teleworking, at most around 30% in Denmark, the Netherlands, and Sweden, to less than 2% in places like Argentina. Then, as COVID was declared a global public health emergency, thousands of workers were told to work from home to contain the spread of the virus. And while most of us have by now figured out that setting up our computer in the kitchen might be just a little too close to the fridge and the sofa a bit too comfy to get anything done, really, we're still trying to figure out the best way to manage and protect people in large-scale, long-term teleworking. At the beginning, it was a pretty scary experience for a lot of people. It certainly hasn't been an easy adjustment for anybody. It's like uh, as if you were trying to learn how to swim and you didn't really know how to swim. Most people had no idea how to swim. And rather than letting you go into the shallow end of the pool, they drop you in the deep end of the pool and they say, okay, now sink or swim. John Messenger is a senior research officer at the International Labour Organization in Geneva. He's not only been teleworking like a lot of us lately, he's also been studying the phenomenon for the last 20 years or so. Telework has exploded. But telework went from being something that was voluntary, something that really you had to seek, you had to request permission for, um, and was done on a very part-time or occasional basis to something that was required, that was mandated by your organization, and done on a full-time basis. So this is a radical change. Teleworking used to be thought of as a kind of privilege, a reward or a perk for high performers who managers trusted enough to work anywhere, anytime. COVID-19 changed all that. Could teleworking even be done on such a grand scale? I mean, you've been looking at teleworking, studying teleworking in all its aspects for, for years. This, this must come in some ways as no surprise to you that, that it would be doable. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that it, there's no pushback now. Um, but I think this, this push, this impetus, you know, this, this irresistible force of having to do something to try to protect, um, I mean, workers and, uh, and, and the organization and indeed the, the society as large from COVID trying to minimize the chance of transmission of the disease. Um, not only was it a push for workers, it was also a push for managers and organizations who had very much been resistant. Not all of them, of course, but there was a strong resistance. Um, and you can see it, particularly in the areas where, in the areas of the world, I mean, where there's well-developed um, uh, IT infrastructure. Because one of the things that we talked about in my book that I did, which came out last year, Telework in the 21st Century, is how far fewer people were actually teleworking than potentially could telework. So what so what was what was holding them back? What was the mitigating factor there? 
organizations um, and, and managers, um, many times organizations with rules that made it very difficult to telework, um, if not impossible. And even in many organizations that, that actually permitted or were even encouraging telework, managers and particularly frontline managers really were highly resistant to it. There were many differences that we found across the countries. But one of the things that wasn't different. It was only different in degree, but was the same across all 15 countries was managerial resistance to telework, particularly frontline supervisors, because they felt that they would lose control. Managers have this well, it's a need to, to, to control. And there's a logical reason for this because they're the ones, you know, particularly the frontline supervisors who are not managing other managers, but are managing the employees directly. They are the ones who are responsible for usually for reporting on the results and the outcomes achieved by their unit, you know. And so they are very reluctant to give up control for fear that they won't be able to hit the target. They won't be able to achieve the levels of performance that they need to achieve. However, we knew already from the research that had been done on, on telework productivity and performance that, in fact, teleworkers, if anything, perform at a higher level and are more productive um, than other workers. COVID-19 democratized telework no longer a fringe benefit for the privileged few, and with more people working from home, John says a new kind of management is needed. You cannot use what sometimes call management by walking around. As one article, I forget where I read this, but one article said if if you're in the office, the managers can see that you're not that you're not uh, asleep and that you're not playing computer games. So therefore, they assume you must be working hard. The flip side of that, of course, the flip side of it was that if they couldn't see you, they assumed as actually was reported in the American study that was part of my book. If they can't see the employee, they assume they must be it's slacking like the, off. The, the, the guide, it said, you say that the, the new era of teleworking will require a much wider use of a new kind of management, one which is more trusting and more results-based. How do you get that trust? How do you put that into practice? One of the things that, that, that we emphasize is the idea that you need very clear goals, objectives, and deliverables, and time, time frames. And you need to have some dialogue between the manager and the employee regarding what those are. Then those need to be established very clearly, indeed, in writing, so that it's clear to everybody what is going to be delivered by when, you know? And then, then... We recommend that managers step back and let workers figure out how to organize their own time and tasks. It's something that we talked about in the Future of Work report, um, which we call uh, time sovereignty, which is just a a really fancy term. It's a fancy term. Time sovereignty is a fancy term for really just having control over your own working time gets into another area that that I do a lot of work on. You control your work schedule. I mean, you 
decide how you're going to manage your time. Because time for a teleworker is not like time in the office. Why is it different? Because time in the office is structured in blocks, very, very clear blocks. You come to the office, you start work, you take a coffee break or a tea break or whatever, then you work another block, then you take a lunch break or whatever. And this could happen at any time of day or night, even if you're a night worker. Whereas telework by its nature is I call it porous. And by that, I mean it's not structured in these very clear blocks. You might get up, you know, and you might start working right away. I mean, for me, I check my emails before I even make coffee or, or, or have breakfast in the morning. I do an initial email check before I do anything else. Done. That's the school run done. So when we first started teleworking because of the pandemic, I realized that uh, the way I'd been doing things before, I had a work hat on when I was at work and my mummy hat on when I was at home. And then all of a sudden the two were at the same place at the same time. And it was really confusing for me. It was an interesting experiment to suddenly be doing both at the same time, but it's like anything. It takes practice. And then once you're in it, you're doing it and it's fine. So now I'm used to it. At first, it was really tricky when the kids were, were home and doing homeschooling because of the pandemic. But now that they're back at school, it, it's totally doable. Uh, and actually, I, I really, really like it. The downsides of teleworking is that it, sometimes it's really hard to, um, you know, the lines get blurred. But when you're working and when it's personal time, when it's off time, and really it ends up being up to you to be disciplined about, about keeping them separate and making sure you're not overworking. So you see this porous, it's you're going from you know, work tasks to personal activities, work tasks to personal activities, work tasks to personal activities. If you did what we call a time diary study, you would see how porous it is. You know, it's just the nature of the beast is that you have way more, um, uh, how can I say, way more of this blending of work and non-work activities. And one actually has to be very careful careful about it. I was going to ask you, John, because you're always telling us about, you know, putting, uh, making borders, borders between these blocks. Mm. Each person has to put their own border around it. That's the tricky part. Call them boundary management strategies. And boundary management first requires that there be some broader framework. It can be a national framework. It could be a sectoral framework. It could be an organization level framework, you know, but you need some overall framework to start with rather than just kind of the wild, wild west, you know, otherwise, I mean, you could end up working all the time. The greatest danger with telework, the greatest danger with telework isn't that you will underperform the, uh, you know, or that you're slacking. The greatest danger is you'll work longer hours. Has there been much national legislation, any, any kind of standardization of how, how to work with teleworkers? Well, actually, Europe is probably the leader in that 
respect, which is a bit ironic because telework originated in the U.S. in the state of California. And there are some regulations in the state of California, but there are not any national regulations in the United States, despite the fact that telework began there in California in the mid-1970s. It was actually Europe um, in early 2000s that developed the first broad framework. And it's actually a social partner agreement called the European Framework Agreement on Telework. And that's been transposed into a number of national laws across the EU. And it was the very first, um, basically at European level, uh, among among workers and employers organizations, um, where they came up with um, an agreement on a broad, what I call flexible framework for telework, and that then has the force of European law. What are some of the the, the, the the elements in that agreement that for example what do they what do they uh, talk about what do they regulate for example ensuring that uh, that the employment conditions of teleworkers are the same as the employment conditions of those you know who are working in the office um, and you might say well it's very hard to ensure that they're the same exactly well they're not maybe exactly the same but the idea is that they should effectively be equivalent you know Things like protections of workers for health and safety, things like ensuring, you know, um, their rights to freedom of association and collective bargaining and union membership, everything across the board. Um, um, It's just about every aspect of work you can think of, but in a broad framework rather than in detailed prescriptive um, rules. In other places at national level, for example, in the U.S., it's the federal government that has telework legislation, the Telework Enhancement Act, um, which was enacted in, 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 I think it was 2010, um, I believe it was 2010 under, under Barack Obama's presidency. In fact, Obama, interestingly enough, called himself the teleworker in chief because he worked out of his own home, uh, which is the White house. So it was interesting because you'd never, yeah, well, it's not very well known. It wasn't one of his best known initiatives, but uh, yeah, he called himself teleworker in chief and he made a priority of actually putting in legislation. Um, and, and this you probably will find very interesting in this context. One of the reasons cited for the legislation was the experience of federal government employees employees using telework during previous um, epidemics and pandemics, first of which was the avian flu back in 2000. And one of the logics behind the Telework Enhancement Act was to ensure that every uh, federal employee, to the extent practicable, you know, to work at least one day a week remotely, because first of all, they thought it was productive way of working. And second of all, they wanted to be able to rely on this in case of another pandemic. So one of one of the logics of the Telework Enhancement Act in the United States was explicitly to basically prepare the way for federal agencies and federal employees to be able to go to telework whenever that was required is a business continuity measure. So already very forward looking in, in, in that legislation. But, um, and so speaking of forward looking, and since this is about the future of work, 
I'm wondering what you're going to be looking at in the coming sort of months and in, in, in your research. What we really need to know, I think, is what has been the incidence, what has been the, the percentage of the workforce that's been using telework during the pandemic? You know, what are the different sectors where it's been used most widely? What are different occupations where it's been used most widely? You know, and then, of course, how well has it worked in practice? Now, the anecdotal information that I've gotten has suggested that it was a very rough go at first. Has there been anything that surprised you in in either in practices that you've you've heard about I, I suppose people are sharing their practices with you is, is, did anything kind of take you by surprise I couldn't believe I was astonished by how widely used it was I mean I was astonished by the fact it was being used for you know some jobs that I don't think I really even thought could be even teleworkable. Like what? what like well, what? former. You want you want one example? One example, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 one of my former colleagues, actually a former supervisor from USDOL, who I still maintain contact with, uh, told me that uh, you know all of his kids were teleworking, even the one who does. Pilates, is it Pilates? Am I, am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes. Pilates, because she couldn't work initially uh, during the pandemic and she changed her approach to be able to do Pilates remotely. Amazing. I never would have thought that that could even be done remotely. <laughs> But I think contrary to what we saw prior to the pandemic, it's going to be open to much broader array of employees in a much wider range of sectors and occupations and jobs than it was prior to the pandemic. So what I foresee is, is really post-pandemic, um, a much higher, dramatically higher rate of telework, but on a part-time or occasional basis, um, as well as, as being voluntary, something that, that workers actually seek for its, its frankly, its, its, its utility as a means of balancing paid work with, with personal life. And as we say back home, the, the, you know, the horse is out of the barn. I mean, the hard horse is out of the barn and it's, and it's running and it's, and it's galloping down the, down the road and there's no bringing it back. It is, <laughs> there's no way back. <laughs> I just hold on. It's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a wild ride. But I think, I think it's going to be a very, a very successful ride. And I, the beauty of it is to me is that telework offers the opportunity for real win-win. It can give the worker the chance to better balance their paid work with their personal lives if they know how to practice it correctly, how to disconnect, how to manage the boundary between paid work and personal life, and if the organization and their managers support them on that. And it can be a win for, for employers uh, and organizations as well because it can raise productivity and performance I think it can be a really, really big win-win situation um, for everyone. Okay, well, we, we will see in the coming months. John, thanks a lot. It's always fun talking to you. Very welcome, Karen. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Join us soon for another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast.